Welcome to Big Bear Christian Center Sermon Audio. Today's message, Pastor Rob begins a series in the book of Acts. So it's not dead. The church is not dead. Is the church doing what it's supposed to be doing? No. But God's got grace for us, and so we're going to start this journey. I look around the church in general, and even sometimes here this morning, uh, or you know, on a morning like this, and I and we we can look, and you can too. You look, we can look around at the church, and one of the things we can see is bored people. In fact, uh, talking about men, if you look around the church, what you see with men often is bored men. In fact, on a given Sunday, the people who fall asleep are typically men and not women. It's, you know, some of you going, you know, you always say, yeah, thanks for saying it. it's true. It's true, right? It's true. You've all sat next to them. <laughs> um, you know, give a little, give a little, you know, and, and granted, yes, we're, we're, we're tired and things. In fact, there's a, a, a great story years ago right here at this church um, with uh, a couple who was attending, and it was uh, actually Pastor John Dunn and Michelle, and they, they are the pastors of the uh, Bear Valley Christian Faith Center, right? Yeah, Bear Valley Christian Faith Center. And he, he worked hard, and he loved the Lord, but he worked really hard. And he came to church, and he fell asleep. He was nodding off, and he'd done that a few times. And so, so when he was good, good and asleep, Michelle's wife elbowed him and said, John, Pastor Jeff wants you to pray. And so John stood up in the middle of service to pray. And no, that's not what Pastor Jeff wanted. So, but... <laughs> Um, you know, and so, so there's people that might be bored. We're dissatisfied. You know, we're, we're, we, we come, we're faithful, and I want to thank you, you know, you're, you're coming, you're wanting to grow, but there's this thing that sometimes is within us that is even dissatisfied and bored. And what I want to encourage us is that we would press into God and press into the Word, even as we're going through the book of Acts, and, and see why we are and what can help us. I believe as we journey through the book of Acts, we'll see some of the things that separate and set us apart, or should set us apart, and that will, I believe if we'll hang on to God, that boredom and dissatisfaction will go away. Because I think that the, the people in general, we want mission. We want a vision. We want something that has, we want our lives to have meaning, and they want our lives to matter. It's one of the things, in the, I think, what is it called? The millennials, the new group of people, the, uh, the, the young generation rising up. They don't just want to come to a church. They want to be part of it. They want to have something to do. When we read the book of Acts, everyone had something to do. It wasn't this spectator sport. The true church is about the body, the people, being activated in their gifts and finding their own things that God is calling them to be a part of. And so that's one of the things we're going to see. This morning, we're just going to take off about 12 verses in the book, book of Acts, and, and we'll, we'll go through those. But throughout the whole journey of the book of Acts, we're going to see a church that was alive. And, and it became the church of Jesus Christ. Jesus died, and he, before he ascended, he gave the disciples some commandments. And one of them included waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. The early church was marked with a, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They were alive and empowered. And today, we need that same empowerment from the Holy Spirit to give us life and to help us understand that there is mission and vision. I think one of the reasons I'm still a Christian is because when I got saved, I wasn't okay with just going to youth group 
and then doing my own thing. But I got really involved, and God took me on some amazing journeys in my faith, not just in reading the Word, but He brought me to some crazy um, locations physically because I was willing to go wherever God wanted me to go. And I know everyone in here has a different calling and a different place in the body of Christ, but God wants to move all of us and have us all step out in faith and be involved in his master plan. I mean, by the time I was 18 years old, I was on the streets of Hollywood, California, witnessing to the prostitutes, the drug addicts. Um, I was down there for the Hollywood riots in, I think it was 1988, 89, when all the police came out for Halloween. If you remember the Halloween riots back in the 80s, I was there. In fact, we almost got beat by the cops because we were behind the barricade at one point and watching all of this, this rioting going on with riot cops right in front of us and out of nowhere, they, they were just standing there with their, their little nightsticks, and, and they, I heard the order, and they said, take the next block. And so they picked up these barricades and started swinging, and we had to run to the next block to get away from it. And one of the guys in our group, Steve, I mean, he was running away, and somebody grabbed his pocket, and it ripped off. I mean, those were exciting times, and so there was something about being on mission, and some of you guys are probably going, yes! I want some of that in my life, you know, and so if we're willing to say yes to God, he will bring us into places that's, you know, that's not mamby-pamby, it's exciting. Now, you don't have to have your life threatened, and it is exciting. Sometimes when I think about it, I mean, my life was uh, threatened in, in Ukraine by an ex-KGB guy, and, and I mean, you know, on, again, in Hollywood, and, and all these things, and so, but see, those are things that, like, yes, why, the, why did that happen? Because I was proclaiming the gospel and doing whatever God wanted me to do. So that's our journey individually. Wherever you're at is to say, God, I want to be a disciple. So part of the book of Acts is about becoming a disciple of Jesus who would say yes to whatever it is that he has for you. It's not going to look the same as it does for me. You don't have to worry if you know, say, well, you know, I don't know if I ever wanted to have those situations in my life. But if you're just willing, God will take you to your best place, to your next step. And that's what the early church was. They weren't about just coming together and having worship services. They came to have, together to have worship services because they were so excited about being saved from their sin and, and getting fellowship with other people. So the early church was, was marked with these things. Uh, the Bible says, where there is no vision, the people perish. I believe it's in the living version. It says, where there is no vision or, or continual revelation, the people cast off restraint. Church, we need a vision. We need purpose for our life, and it's not fulfilled in things. It's not fulfilled in houses and cars, because you find that the people who attain those things are still dissatisfied. You, if you haven't attained those things, you might go, yeah, but I think it'll help. You know, but you can talk to people who've done that, and they go, you know, it's empty. Why do rich people do crazy things? Because they've already got the houses, and they already got the cars, and they've done the trips, and it wasn't enough. So now they're doing crazy things. They're booking trips on the space shuttle. They're having relationships with crazy things in their life because that doesn't satisfy. The vision, of, the vision that God wants us to have is proclaiming him, getting closer to him, and doing whatever he calls us to do. In the process, he may bless you with a home. He may bless you with the cars. But if that's our purpose in life, you'll end up empty. You'll end up empty. 
So we need to find the vision that God has for us. And, and part of what's going to be, be found is we, we fall in love with him again and open ourselves up um, to what he wants. And then I added this vision without, so where there's no vision, the people perish, but vision without a means to reach it leads to frustration. Who's ever had a vision in their life but had no way in their wildest dreams of, of, of reaching that vision? And after a while, you just get frustrated. And so you let the vision die. And so the vision has to come and it needs to be birthed by God, specifically empowered by the Holy Spirit. In the beginning church, that's what we find is that Jesus gave them a mission, but he says, don't worry, you can't accomplish this on your own. You're going to wait and you're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And through the book of Acts, we see what that meant, that the Holy Spirit came in power and enabled these normal people to do amazing things for Christ because of the, the Holy Spirit. Wow. Take a breath and move on a little bit. So, so as we're beginning this journey, we're, we're talking about the book of Acts. Now, last week we did it, but we'll do a quick one. Acts, about 30% of the New Testament is written by the same man who wrote Acts. It was Luke and Acts. Comprised about 30% of the New Testament written by, the, um, by Luke, the physician. Um, it's really, it says the Acts of the Apostles, though funny, is that it's really not much about the Apostles. In fact, after chapter 1, there's not many Apostles even mentioned in the, in the book. In fact, it's um, Peter, Paul, and... Yeah, I knew somebody would do it. <laughs> Peter, Paul, John, and James. We don't really hear anything else about the other apostles, but we, we see disciples coming to Christ. So really, Acts, it starts off uh, talking about Peter, and then Paul comes onto the scene, and most of it's about Paul's journeys and his new cohorts that are going with him. Luke is one of those that, that worked with um, Paul, and that's why uh, he had such a firsthand uh, view of, of the book of Acts. So um, so really, it's, it's simplified. It's, it went from Peter to Paul, the gospel was preached first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. It's the beginning of the church of Jesus Christ. Uh, the, the book of Acts is about preaching the gospel, about establishing um, churches and, and making disciples, all under the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is, is the theme. In fact, the theme verse we're going to cover this morning is Acts 1.8. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. That is the key verse in the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit is going to come. Now, when we start talking about the Holy Spirit, there's really two themes within the book of Acts that... I don't want to say divide the church, but we have a lot of discussion and disagreement over. The Holy Spirit is one of them. What is the Holy Spirit? Who is the Holy Spirit? What about gifts? What about Pentecostalism? What about, what about, what about? The Holy Spirit is definitely one of them. And we're going to take time over the next number of weeks. We'll talk about what the Bible says about the Holy Spirit. The other one is baptism. Um, and we will be talking also about baptism. We're not going to get into the subject real heavy today. But we will lay out a doctrinal thing and there still is room for disagreement um, you know there there's definitely scriptures that talk that have different uh, leanings towards baptism um, and then and the holy spirit one thing i want to say before we go too far um, you know if you've, you you may have heard the term that this is a pentecostal church i'm trying to stay away from terms like that one 
is that people have an idea what that means. Or, or they've never heard it and they go, well, what is that? But one of the, the terms, for, if you've been in the church for any length of time, Pentecostal might mean holiness, united Pentecostal. Um, that's not what we mean. But Pentecostal simply means that we believe that um, the same God who was moving on behalf of his church in the book of Acts, which happened on the day of Pentecost, he still wants to do all the same things. That's all. But I'd rather just say, I want to be a New Testament church. I just want to be a New Testament church, right? What, what were they doing in the New Testament? We're going to be finding out in the book of Acts. All the things that marked what it is. But, but the Holy Spirit, here's, here's a very important thing. Holy Spirit is who regenerates us in our salvation. It's the Holy Spirit who draws us to Jesus, convicts us of sin, and then when we accept Jesus, the Holy Spirit regenerates us as believers, and the Holy Spirit indwells every believer. So every Christian has the Holy Spirit. He says the Spirit is alive in each one of us. Now we find in the book of Acts that in addition to regenerating us, that he wants to fill us with power by the Holy Spirit. And we'll talk about that later more. Let's go to chapter uh, 1, verse 1. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach, until the day in which he was taken up, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. That's like a big sentence. There's no periods in there. So Luke is, is talking to Theophilus, and we talked a little bit about that last week. We don't know for sure about Theophilus a lot. It, it, the, the name means lover of God or loved by God. Theophilus likely was uh, somebody of nobility or ranking at one point. In fact, by the time of the book of Acts, he may have not been in that position anymore because in Luke, he says, most excellent Theophilus, and in Acts, he just calls him Theophilus. Likely, Theophilus is a disciple of Luke. You know, and, and that's the first point. Everyone should be being discipled, and everybody who's saved should also be helping to disciple somebody else. This is what the Bible lays out for each one of us. In fact, some people have this saying that says, you're not truly a disciple until you've discipled somebody else. Because the walk of the Christian walk is about making disciples. Well, somebody's had their hand, and often it's lots of people, have had their hand in your life to help you grow in your faith. If, if you have never had one or you don't have somebody right now, I encourage you to find somebody who is a little bit further along in their walk that can help you grow in your faith, that can challenge you, that can help um, to expound on the scriptures with you, that can walk this walk with you, that could help, be, help you become a disciple of Christ. And then also we need to find somebody in our lives that we can help do the exact same thing for. Help them grow in their faith. So Theophilus was a disciple and Luke was the discipler, but also Luke was discipled by Paul. So you got the great picture right there. And he says, okay, Theophilus, I told you all about what Jesus began to do and to teach until he was taken up. And it says he presented himself alive after his sufferings by many infallible proofs. So, he, so what does that mean? You know, people say even today, well, I just don't believe in Jesus. There's so much 
record and history of Jesus existing. And one of the things is the infallible proofs that he's talking about are all the disciples who saw Jesus alive. It says that he appeared at one time to more than 500 of them. That things were happening. That these disciples, especially the apostles who saw Jesus after his crucifixion, witnessed to that fact everywhere they went, not just in Jerusalem, but other countries as well, and spread that Jesus Christ was alive, that he died and rose again. And those apostles were willing to die for it. Now, some of you, probably only one or two, have told a lie before. <laughs> and, you know, sometimes they're just a little silly thing, but, you know, there's probably for a few of us been that time that we started telling a story. And we just really wanted them to believe our story of something that happened to us or that we did. And we just began, to, and, it was, and we, were, we, we just had fun telling that story, right? We're not going to make you raise your hand. Um, you know, some of us told stories to our, to our girlfriends because we wanted to impress them, right? We embellished. At some point, if the pressure was on and you were going to suffer for that lie, say maybe go to jail or, God forbid, die, I think all of us would have said, you know, it was, I was just telling a story. At some point, we're not willing to go the, the extra mile if our lives are on the line for this story. The apostles all did. All of them. Infallible proofs. They saw enough to say, Jesus Christ, was alive. And all of them died poor, so they didn't get the money. Jesus died poor, right? He didn't get the money. They didn't get the girls. They didn't get the fame. Because most people that start religions, that's why they do it. That's why they do it. Think L. Ron Hubbard and Dianetics and Scientology. You know, you've been to Hollywood and seen all the buildings that they, they have? The apostles didn't do that. So he's laying out this thing saying, listen, it happened. There's infallible proofs be, um, being seen by them for 40 days. And he was speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Let's move on to four, verse 4. Being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. I'm going to stop there. That's that word that that we all love. It's, our, it's probably our favorite word, wait. <laughs> we don't want to be told to wait. Let's go back to chapter uh, Luke chapter 24. Keep your finger to Acts chapter 1. See, this is the other book that Luke wrote. I'm going to start in verse 46, and I don't have the scripture for this, Marissa. I didn't put it up there. Verse, Luke 24, 46 says this, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. This is Jesus talking. And that repentance and remissions of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Remember these words. We're going to tie into them in a few minutes. And you are witnesses of these things. He's talking to the apostles, to the disciples here. Behold, I send 
the promise of my father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. So Jesus' last commandments, he says, you're going to preach the gospel. Repentance and remission of sins will be preached in his name, in Jesus' name, to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You're witness of these things. I'm going to send the promise of my father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem. Now the promise of my father, let's talk about that for a minute. What, what is that? Well, I believe that's going back to the book of Joel. In the book of Joel, it says, In the last days, your sons and daughters will prophesy, old men will see dreams. This was the promise of Joel, of the Holy Spirit falling in the end times. And so Jesus is telling disciples, you're going to go, you're going to wait, the promise of the Father is going to come upon you, but you need to wait. And we're, when we get more into the baptism of power in the Holy Spirit, we're going to really pick up that thing on wait more. We're going to talk about why they had to wait and, and what that signifies in our relationship with God and our necessity for the Holy Spirit and what that and the Holy Spirit baptism means. But he says, wait. There is something that's no fun but amazing if we'll wait, up, wait upon the Lord. Those who wait on the Lord, hope on the Lord, will renew their strength. Often we're running too fast. We're not stopping long enough to hear the voice of God, to wait on God before we go. And Jesus wanted to make sure that the disciples did not run, as the old, the old saying is, pell-mell, and, and into what God had for them. But he says, you cannot do this. What I'm commanding you to do, preach the gospel into all the world you cannot do without the Holy Spirit. So you need to wait. And you need to learn to wait. Wait on me. And go with power from Holy Spirit. And, and wait on instruction from me. So they went and waited for 10 days. And they prayed in the upper room. And they waited until they knew. And we're going to get into that in Acts chapter 2. Verse 5. Back to Acts chapter 1. John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. They understood what baptism was. The baptism of John was not a baptism of salvation. The baptism of John was a baptism of repentance from sin. That's Remember what John was saying? He was going out, repent from your sins. Repent, and they were baptized. In the time of, of Jesus, in the time of the early church here, there was a, what they call a proselyte baptism. Sometimes when you'd switch from a religion to another, you'd be baptized to show that you were switching religion, that you were a proselyte to another faith. But John baptized with water. He's connecting them. Now the word in the Greek, and I'm not sure if we talk about this in life groups, and I'm forgetting some places we talked about, but the word in the Greek is baptizo, which for them meant dipping, immersion. I mean, we think of baptism as, you know, hold your nose and, you know, the name of the Father, Son, and hold your nose, and you go down, and you get baptized. But for them, there was a word, it was the same word as if they took a garment that they wanted to dye a different color, they would actually use the same word. You're going to baptize the garment. You're going to baptizo this, and you're going to bring it up, and it's going to be immersed and dyed in another color. Or a ladle would be baptizoed into the water to draw the water out. So he says, the Holy Spirit, you're going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. John did baptism with water. You'll be baptized in the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And again, we're going to get into this, but you, there's some real correlations of waiting and not many days from now. 
You need to just remember those for the future. Now you're going to be questioning, well, what is that? Go and read and figure, see if you can start finding out. So Jesus is saying, Holy Spirit is going to come. Therefore, verse 6, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? So let's, I'm going to spend a little bit of time here. And, and if, if this is... Uh, if you've already heard this, then just bear, bear with me as we talk a little bit about this. The restoration of the kingdom for the Jews was a very important thing. We're going to go through a little Jewish history for just a couple minutes. They had a rough history. They only had one really good king. They had a very short time that, that all the, the, the um, tribes were together under one leader, under King David. You know, they, they had tribes and they, they got together, but then under the kingdom of David that was united, both the, what they call the northern and the southern kingdom, all the 12 tribes, shortly after, under Solomon, it gets divided and we have uh, two different kingdoms that, that are connected, but sometimes even at war with each other. And then, shortly after, in, in, a, in about, uh, I think it was um, in the 8th century, um, the, the one kingdom is dispersed, and it's no more. And then the southern kingdom in 6th century B.C. Uh, in Ju Judah, they get taken by Babylon. And so now, both, there is no Jewish nation that's in Israel anymore. They're both scattered and in captivity. So that wasn't very good. And then if you've read the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, you know that they got to come out of Babylon, reestablish the temple, reestablish the walls. But even after that, they kept having problems. And in, in fact, in like 330-ish, Alexander the Great came in and conquered them. So now they're under a different rule. And that comes all the way up. So this is just, what, all this to say, they've been waiting to be under a righteous king, united for a long time. Alexander the Great in 300 came in. And then in 63 BC, Rome under Pompey, some of you have heard of Pompey. It's not just a place, it was a general in Rome. He came in and he conquered Israel. And he put them under Roman leadership, but allowed them to have, they, they, Rome allowed them to have their own little uh, you know, king within the place. And the king that we're familiar with was Herod the Great. Anyone heard of Herod? Remember Herod? Okay, so he was ruling for Rome in, in Israel. He was not even full Jewish blood himself. And they're not fully free to do anything. So they've got, the, they've got a, a Caesar over them. They've got a, a bad ruler, Herod, who's taxing them to no end and building all these amazing things. That's what Herod was known for. He built the temple bigger and better than Solomon. Who paid for it? Yeah. Remember, why the, ta remember the tax collectors weren't very nice guys? Because Rome, specifically, you know, Herod was having them taxed like crazy because Herod was not just building those things. He was building palaces and, and, and other things all around. He wanted to make a name for himself. And that's, that's the time of Jesus. So we've got this, and the Jews are like, so Jesus, we've been following you for a while, and you know we really thought you were cool. We thought you were the one, and then you died and rose from the dead. So now we know that you are powerful, and you are the Messiah who's going to finally come and take us out of the control of any other government, and you're going to be the, the, the rightful king, the rightful ruler, 
yes, we want to follow you. So is it time now? Is it time? That's, this is the question right here. Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They're thinking this kingdom. They're thinking we're going to get rid of, you know, Caesar Augustus. Actually, right now is Tiberius. He's the Caesar. We're going to get rid of all the rulers. And Jesus is going to be our king. And Jesus brings a slight rebuke to them. And this is just, I love how he does this very gently. It's not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. He almost sidesteps the question. Because the answer to the question is, guys, I'm not going to come and set up a kingdom on this earth. The kingdom that I'm establishing is in heaven. It's a spiritual kingdom. And yes, it's time for me to establish that. I'm about to go away. The Holy Spirit has come. We're going to build the church of Jesus Christ and establish a kingdom, but it ain't going to be here. In fact, what he would go on to say is, not only is it not going to be here, but as you preach the gospel to the Jews who you think want to establish the kingdom, they're going to reject you. They're going to put you in prison themselves. They're not going to be happy with the message. They already crucified me. They're not going to be any happier with you. In fact, so you're going to stop preaching to the Jews, and you're going to take this message to those who were never part of the family of God. You're going to take the message to the Gentiles. That's really what he could have said. But he's a little more gentle with us than I would have been. Thank God for that, right? It's not for you to know the times or season which the Father's put in his own authority. And here comes the key verse. But you shall receive power. And you, and you, and you stop. Okay, let's, let's put this into their, their perspective for a minute. They're in now. They're in right now. We want the kingdom established. We want to get rid of Tiberius. We want to get rid of the Roman overlordship. We want to put righteousness back here. Jesus is the way to do this. And he didn't say, that's not what I'm doing yet. And then he says, you're going to receive power. Now, in the context, I'm thinking things like this. You rose from the dead. You're giving us power. Samson? You make us like Samson, maybe. You make us like a prophet. You're going to receive power. I mean, their minds are going, man, this is going to be cool. This is something a lot of us guys could jump into really well. We're going to take back, we're going to fight against Rome, but we're going to be empowered by God to do it. And I'm thinking like, you know, giant killers. David was a giant killer. And Samson had supernatural strength. And I like this power thing about to happen. Jesus had a different plan for the power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me. Now look at the lineup here. Jerusalem and all Judea, so Jerusalem's the, the city, Judea is the area, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. He's including places in there that he shouldn't include. The Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans because they had been part of the group before. And in, in, in one of the dispersions, the Samaritans, while the, um, while the Jews were being in, in exile, the Samaritans set up their own way of worship. They were Jews, but they had intermarried and they had their own ways of worshiping God. And when, when the um, Jews came back to, uh, to Israel under Nehemiah and, and, and um, Ezra and reestablished the worship, they, had, they were different. And from then on, they never got along. And he's saying that you're going to be witnesses in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Well, before, they were just told to kill everyone else. 
Remember that? Old Testament. If they're not with you, you just got to kill them all. And now he's saying, no, you're going to be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. And you're going to do it with power. Let's go to verse 9. When he had spoken these things, and I'm sure they're pretty confused. We, we look back, we know it's about to happen. We're like, this is really exciting. They're going to go fill with the Holy Spirit. They're going to speak in tongues. Peter's going to preach a message. 3,000 people are going to get saved. And the gospel is going to spread all around the world because of what's about to happen. They don't know any of that. So they're like, okay. Now when, they had, when he had spoken these things while they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. Can you picture that? I heard this. It was a great, great example. It's not my own. Um, but have you ever let a helium balloon go? I mean, we all have, right? It's kind of fun, right? And you watch it. Or maybe you didn't let it go and it just flew out of your hand and you cried. <laughs> and you watch it, but, you know, you watch it. And you, oh, there it is. I see it. And you keep watching that you know, until, until you can't see it. And you got your friends and they're all trying to find it. And, and then you see maybe a little shimmering. Oh, there it is again. This is Jesus. And he's ascending to heaven. And as they're gazing, gawking into the sky, that's him there. I think that's him. Yeah. Just watching him. That would be pretty awesome. That would be pretty awesome. I think it's important for us to go, wow. But they're also going, wait a second. Like we cried with the helium balloon. They're probably going, uh, you're not supposed to do this. And while they looked, verse 10, steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. What a great promise. Church, that's the promise we're waiting for today. This same Jesus who we've read about, who ascended into heaven, he's going to come back one day in like manner, which means, I mean, I, we don't know exactly how he went there, but I'm picturing him just going, he's going to come, and we're going to see him. It says the whole earth will see him. He's going to come and return someday. And so the disciples have a lot of choices right now. Their ruler, their king, just left. They could say, well, uh, that was fun. I guess it's over. You know, I... It's, it's, I mean, they could. It's like, well, we're not. Look, let's look around at the apostles here. None of them are schooled. They're ordinary people. They're not powerful. They're, they're nothing. And I might be looking around going, I don't know if I'm ready to take on Rome with you guys. Jesus, he was powerful, but he's gone. So, but what do the disciples do? They return to Jerusalem from the mount called, called Olivet. I can't. It's on my bucket list. I'm going to, to Israel someday, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey. And then in verse 13, we won't go there too much, but it says they went into the upper room. So the disciples, 
the apostles, this group of what we find in just a few minutes, 120, not just the original apostles, but, but the, the group has grown. There's the people that are following Jesus. They go back to Jerusalem and they do what Jesus told them to do, even though Jesus is gone and he's not watching them anymore. Even though their thoughts, their hopes, their dreams of Jesus coming and establishing the kingdom and kicking Rome out and doing this is dead. They don't know what's going to happen. Jesus just went up like a helium balloon and instead of getting discouraged and going and doing their own thing, they were faithful to God and they waited and they go and they wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Holy Spirit. That's what needs to be marking our lives is faithfulness to God even when we don't see the promise, even when we think that there's no way that God can do what he's promised us to do, that we stay faithful to him and say, I'm going to be faithful to you. And if you say, wait, I'm going to wait. I'm going to pray until I'm endued with power, until you come and you relieve me and you fulfill the thing. I am not going to run away and do my own thing. That's what he's calling us to be. And, and the apostles, it's a good thing that the disciples did that because they're about to embark on an amazing journey of being filled with power, filled with the Holy Spirit, doing things that would blow anybody's mind. Has anybody ever started babbling and somebody in a foreign language understood them? That's one of the things. Has anyone ever gone up to somebody and said, hey, I don't have any money, but, but in the name of Jesus, walk, and seen somebody healed? You know, we prayed for a dead person and watched them live again. That's what marked the early church because they were faithful and they wanted more than just the Jewish traditions that they had. Church, we need to want more than just coming on a Sunday morning. We need to want all of what God has for us, all the promises that Jesus has for us, because he wants to shake us up a little bit and say, there is more for you. Are you bored? Step into life with me. You won't be bored long. I'm going to give you power so you don't have to worry about it. I'm going to give you everything you need for life and godliness, and I will empower you with the Holy Spirit to do the things that I'm calling you to do for boldness, for miracles, but it's not about the miracles. See, one of the things we do, we get lost, in, and Pentecostals are, are more guilty than any group around. We get lost in the power. We get lost in the miracle stuff. The miracle stuff is just proving a point. He wants us to be his witnesses. That's the goal of Jesus Christ, to establish the church, to make disciples, to, to witness to others. The Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. But he gives us the Holy Spirit in order to do that. But it's not about having a bless me club. Never was supposed to be about that. But too many times we do that. We just have these meetings and we prophesy to one another. We speak in tongues to one another. I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. I speak in tongues. I've prophesied. I've laid hand on, on people that have been healed. I have seen the works of God, but it's not about keeping that in here. Those things are supposed to be the witnesses of the love and the power of God to others. And this is what the church is about. And this is the church that he's wanting to rebuild today is a church on mission, a church with vision, a, a, a church that says, I don't want the same things that I used to have. You know, you know and it's not a pig. I don't want my father's religion, my grandfather's religion. I want Jesus. I want him and everything he has for me. That's the beginning of Acts. And we can receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon us. I want to close in prayer. There's a time between you and God and me and God.
to be willing to be like the disciples, the apostles, and, and say, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to do what you've called me to do. I don't even know what that entails. And the first thing is, wait. Seek me, wait, and be filled with the Holy Spirit, and I will give you power. Father, this morning, we want to come to you, and God, I ask that you would forgive us of, of apathy, God, I pray that you would stir up our hearts. God, give us a, a passion, a fresh passion, and a renewal. God, of an exciting mission with you. God, I can't even, I don't even know what that means. I don't know what that means for me. God, but I want to be available to anything that you call me to be, to anything that you call me to do. Lord, we would ask that you would fill us with the Holy Spirit for power, God, as we would seek and we would wait for you. God, that we would not run off and do things our own way in our own time, but you would fill us with your power. God, I pray that we would make a difference, that we would be a witness to the lost around us. God, that holiness that love would be the markings of our beliefs of our Christianity, God. I pray for each and every one of us in this room, Lord, and I would pray for those who maybe are visiting or maybe have never put their hope and their trust in you. They've never asked you to be their Lord, that this morning they would just cry out to you and say, I trust you as my Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sin. Make me a new creature. Write my name in the Lamb's Book of Life. And God, take us all on a journey of exciting faith in you as you would reestablish your church. We want to be a part of the body of Christ. Walk with us this week. Even this week, challenge us to be faithful to you. Call us to step out in faith. Lord, thank you for our journey. Watch over us in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>